Hi, and uh, welcome to this exciting episode of the Incubate podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest, Spepile Sivagnone. I got that correct. And um, totally thrilled to be having you here today. And we're going to be speaking a lot about fine arts photography. We're going to be hearing your amazing story, your amazing journey, and um, what you basically have to say to young creators. Thank you very much and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I'm excited being here. It, it's um, it's it's really amazing. You are very busy, and uh, it hasn't been easy to pin you down to come to be with us. But it's it's a great honor that uh, we have you today. And uh, I really want to hear a lot more about this work. I've had a look at your work, and I'm totally blown away around this. And uh, my first question to you is, where does all this inspiration come from? Um, it's it's quite a broad question because it was. It started from curiosity and then it became so personal in such a way that at some point I discovered that I was selfish with other things in order to accomplish what I actually wanted to do. And I'm, I'm excited with my journey as well and I'm still on it. Yeah. It's amazing. If I was going to ask you to tell a five-year-old what you do, what would you say? I'm a storyteller. That's it. Amazing. And you, you tell stories using the lens of a camera. Exactly. Wow. How long has this been going on for? And uh, when was it? Do you remember the first time you ever took your first shot? First time I took my first shot, it was in, it was in England. Because um, I'm, I'm a university dropout. I started internet marketing and e-commerce before I ventured into fine art photography. And I got so bored with regards to the way I was studying or the whole orientation of the course. It was just a huge hole, white walls, white, like, um, it was like a lab, basically, full of, full of computers. You didn't even know who was sitting next to you. And me being an extrovert, not an introvert, I just needed something, you know, something exciting to do. And I took a gap here just to figure out what exactly it was. And the following year, I was like, okay, I think this is what I want to do. And uh, I started to enroll with the London School of Photography, the Photography Institute. But before that, I did a certificate course in photography with Basingstoke College. And then I went to the Photography Institute in London. I did it for like three years and a diploma specializing on fine art photography. This is an incredible journey. And what I've seen from um, your work is that there really seems to be a story that is associated with each image. For you, it's not just taking images. How does that work? How does, where is the connection between the storytelling and, and shooting shots? How does that work? To be precise, it is not only about shooting shots, as you are saying. It was based on the way us Africans have been portrayed by Westerners for the longest time. They will come here and they still do it. Everything they portray about us is just poverty. It's hunger. And I wanted to interpret what they've done to us on a different twist, beautifying what they portray as bad, yet at the same time giving it back to them that see what you have done to us. You've polluted us, you've diluted us, you have forced us to live a certain way of life that we're not even born to live. But with what's happening around the world, we, through all this democracy, borderlines, rule of laws, regulations and whatsoever, we have been tamed 
to be actually living through your ideologies, not through us. So with that curiosity, I just started to do African tribes. I, I started small, you know, because I started traveling in 2014. That was my first trip. I spent like three months in Kenya and that was in the Maasai Mara. I had to engage learning their culture, learning about their oral traditions, identity, their rituals, basically everything that comprises of them. But I didn't just do that. I couldn't just go there and say, this is what I want to do. I became a part of them first, you know, and feeling that they are now welcoming, you know, whatever they ate, I ate, wherever they slept, I slept household duties and chores I, I was a part of it before I decided to just take up the lens and, and shoot I had to be a part of them first and it was very amazing they embraced me so well so I had to be there for like three weeks but I just extended it for three months because I kept on learning but till today I still want to go back and learn because I feel like there's something missing from what I did with them and from there I, I just started saving money through my freelance work I did Kenya I did a uh, I did Kenya first, I did Tanzania, I did Angola, I did Uganda, obviously Southern Africa, Botswana, Lesotho, um, what's this other country, Namibia, and then I ended up in Angola. That was the last, oh, sorry, Uganda, not Angola, because I did Angola, I think it was in 2017. So um, I, I'm, I'm still discovering what has been done harshly to us, beautifying all these unique different tribes, you know. And I tell my stories based on the effects of global warming, modernization, climate change, you know, and digitalization, all the effects of all these introductions that were given to us, how it is affecting our daily lives as Africans, most importantly, tribal people. So it's really an amazing way of being able to tell the African story through the lens of a camera. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a brilliant way of, of trying to change the narrative in any yeah. sense and um, celebrating Africanness, yeah. celebrating African identity. I see a lot of um, African identity in your work as well. Yeah. And, and I think this is, this is totally amazing. Um, you can almost, you know, pin a thread right across all the work that you have done and there's a whole sense of Africanness, a whole sense of Ubuntu that sort of just threads through your, your work and um, I, I think it's it's brilliant. If I was going to ask you, is there any one or two particular shots that when you think about right in the middle of the night you'd be like, oh my goodness, this, are there any scenarios? Do you remember any, any times you were in any of these countries where you, you took some shots that never leave your mind? It's a couple, but there's this particular one that stays in me because when I captured that image, I went through trials and tribulations, you know. Um, I was coming from, I, 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 I traveled from Cape Town by bus going to Namibia. And I've never been to Namibia. I know nobody in Namibia. I'm like, okay, um, this is what I've said. Let me just go. And I just packed and left. Got to the border been told that if I haven't got any address of where I'm going, I'm not going to be allowed to enter. So the bus driver overheard of, of the whole conversation and was like, no, it's okay. Um, you can use my address. You can be my guest. I've got a family. You know, he just created a beautiful story of me being safe. But getting there, the structure itself, it wasn't what he actually portrayed when he was luring me, you know. And I found a very disappointing structure, but it was like, okay, this is just for a night. And he went out, came back with some drinks, 
I never showed him that I was scared, you know, but I was terrified. I was terrified. He got back. Um, he had his alcohol. I was like, okay, I just want to shower and sleep. And as I was sleeping, and it's, there's no room, basically, I decided to just get my sleeping bag and sleep on the floor. So he was like, in the middle of, of it all, I wake up, I find somebody, you know, like he was about to do something. And I said, I had to think quick. I, 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 I just didn't want to show him how terrified and how angry and how scared I was. I was like, okay, basically, if you do what you're going to do, I've already texted all of my contacts of who I am. I've pinned the address they know where I am. And I've told them that there's this certain bus driver driving from for this particular company. This is his name. This is his surname. I've even taken images of your ID. So everybody has it. If you think you're going to do what you're going to do, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose, you, you'll be arrested basically. And he was like, okay, so what can we do? I was like, you said to me, you'll be off for the next seven days. Go get your brother tomorrow morning at four, as you have promised. And then we're going to drive to Himbaland. As terrified as he was, we woke up. Um, I woke him up because he was hungover and I don't know what else. I woke him up. I was like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go get your brother, you know. He, he was terrified. He was scared. And he went to look for his brother. He found his brother. They fixed the car, patiently waited, you know, put fee well, we drove. And they've never been there. I was like, okay, I need a tall guy. The brother was like, okay, I'll, I'll sort you out with a tall guy. They started making calls. They started making calls. And uh, I spoke to the tall guide. That was like up north in Namibia. I think we drove for like eight to 19 hours. We arrived at night uh, the following day, if I'm not mistaken, because it was quite a long drive, you know. And we got accommodation. I was actually exciting them even along the way. Fuel, food, whatsoever. I'm not even putting my experiences with him now on the picture. Everything, I was just normalizing everything just to see myself achieving what I wanted to achieve. And following day, tour guide comes. He takes me to the village, you know. As he was taking me to this particular village that I wanted to go, I met this incredible young man who had a very beautiful hairstyle that I've never seen, you know. It was a traditional Mohawk. I never thought the Mohawk and hairstyle came from Africa. I thought maybe it originated somewhere in South America, you know, through metallic bands and whatsoever. So he's got his hairstyle. I'm fascinated by the hairstyle and he's like, I'm actually waiting here for a friend. I left my village because we've got no rain. Our livestock is actually dying. I need to remove this hairstyle, but I cannot remove it before I get married. So I wanna work hard and marry my fiance so that I cut this hairstyle off, you know? And he was like, a friend of mine has promised me a job in a lodge because he's working in this particular lodge, a friend of his. And he said he was gonna come back maybe in a few hours and take me there. I'm still waiting for him. I've been waiting here for like four hours. He hasn't got back to me yet, but I've got hope. So the title of that image is actually hope because he had hope and he was, he had all the zeal and perseverance of escaping the village of where they are facing all these changes, you know, catastrophes. The, the environment is not fair to them. They haven't had rain in months. Livestock is dying. So there was a lot going on there. So he was escaping to another phase of his life, see himself removing this hairstyle and marry the love of his life. But he was in limbo, but he had hope. So that was quite an inspiration for me that 
so much we actually come across in our journeys of life, but with hope, you know, if you just keep up the hope and the faith and everything, nothing disappoints. That is an incredible story. And um, I mean, I'm just surprised by how much could come from what we typically think is just one image of yeah. a young Kenyan man with a, mo- a Namibian, yeah, the Namibian yeah. brother. Yeah, there's, there's so much um, to talk about. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a story around yeah. it. And, and I think it's completely yeah. incredible. It's so vivid in yeah. my own mind as you, as you speak about yeah. this and even just recollecting on your own journey to come yeah. and take this particular shot. Yeah. When you were talking about this, though, it got me to think even about the the dangers that young women st- still face mm. um, when they're trying to pursue their dreams or yeah. they are doing their work on the African continent. It's, yeah. I mean, your work is very anthropological, gets you to sit with communities, yeah. gets you to live with these particular yeah. communities and, and all of that. And then you had... Um, this unfortunate incident that you have, I, yeah. I, I would like to apologize on behalf of all bus drivers. <laughs> um, but but yeah, look, there are some of these these risks and and dangers. How yeah. you've been able to go around um, fitting into the communities where you're working, becoming one of them, and also I think being able to push back like uh, like what you did. What would you say to other young women who are interested in the kind of work like what you're doing? Discipline. I find discipline as the main core, like the main practice you need to get used to in this type of works, you know. And discipline comes in so many formats, you know. That comes with associations, that comes with habits, that comes with uh, the way you also have your goals aligned, you know. How do you align your goals? How do you diarise? Where are you hurting? What are the results, you know, what fruits am I bearing, you know, and what am I giving back out of this? So I decided to focus on creating a legacy. I know it's pretty much scary. I've been doing this for the past, uh, since 2014, then we can calculate, but I'm still, I'm still moving forward as tough as it is, but with the discipline that I have, you know, one step at a time, I'm seeing my works, you know, getting somewhere through galleries, doing art talks, contributing to different writers. So, and that also, it's based on the practice of discipline and keeping up with a particular momentum, you know, never get overboard in everything that you do. Just pace yourself, pace yourself, pace yourself nothing gets wrong. So this is work. This is also business because yeah. I'm really trying to look at um, a whole creative economy around this kind of work when you're getting to, to give talks. Yeah. You, you have some of your product also out in, in galleries out there and, yeah. and, and all of that. What do you think have been some of the key highlights in terms of um, your creative entrepreneurship? This is where I, I pitch the kind of work that you're doing. Um, have you been able to sell some of your products where um awards any recognition what's been going on around this because for for so many people when you talk of somebody being a photographer the first thing they're thinking about is somebody's going to shoot um, a wedding you know somewhere yeah. and things like that he is he's a fine art photographer who has been all over africa telling stories where is the business model around this um I was, I think my internet marketing background assisted me a lot into my my present types of works that I produce because I sell my work online. I've got my own online shop and um, I've got online galleries as well that I contribute my works to. 
I've got galleries that I'm registered under in, in South Africa, in, uh, precisely in Cape Town and Joburg. And I've got um, an international audience, you know, through my travels as well, I've been engaging with different types of people. Out of curiosity, they'll be like, okay, let's exchange contacts and show us what you have. And they'll just combine my catalog and they'll be ordering, you know, okay, let's have this, let's have this one, let's have this one. And also in my exhibitions, I also have a live online streaming, you know, so that my international audience can also be part of the engagement. So that's the most important part. It's all about exposure and getting the right niche of people to display your works to. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we've been hearing a little bit about uh, some of the recognition of your work. Are there any 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 highlights around where your work has been recognized? Um, where where people have acknowledged or, or galleries or you see, I'm I'm kind of shy to be talking about awards and mm-hmm. and all of that. I I know you have amazing things that are also yeah. coming along the way and. Yeah. Uh, just, just to also be able to inspire some young woman out there yeah. to say, you know, there's actually value that you can create from exactly. this. Exactly. I, my first achievement, it was in 2014. Um, I, I got an award. I think we're like a hundred participants. Uh, Bushfire 2014. There was a program um, that was curated by the European Union. It was called Swaziland Now. And um, where I stay, I, I live in Sitwashini, Tobonga side, and, and just next to the prison. So there was this loud noise. I took my camera, I decided to just go and shoot, and only to find out that one political activist was being released from prison, and there was this other one who was a leader, you know, and he decided to just be angry and vicious and scream and shout at the cops. So I, I captured a shot of his viciousness on the face. So that image is the one that won. It was like on the top 100, it was number one. So that was my first award. Uh, it was called uh, Entitled Political Activist. And the second one, out of others, it was using hope, you know, because I'm now using hope to diff- to create different artworks, you know, interpreting hope in different types of textures as well. Um, it was through 35 Awards International um, Photography Competition. I think they're based in Russia, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I think in South Africa, with like 180 applicants, but it got number one in South Africa. And it's part of the 35 Awards Book Collective. And that was around 20, 2018 or 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So that's the major highlight, using hope again to, to get such uh, beautiful recognition globally. I mean, I think there were like 187,000 images submitted out of... I don't know how many thousand applicants, but it's still there on the write-up. But that was the main achievement. Like, I was top 35 South Africa, you know, because that's when I was in Cape Town. So that's that's a beautiful achievement. And exhibiting my work as well in the UAE, in Abu Dhabi, um, before, just before lockdown in um, 2020, it was also an achievement for me. It was in Yas, Mar- Yas Island, in Yas Marina. So I've showcased my work there as well as I was still looking forward to doing more, you know, of my crafts and interpreting it differently, then COVID came, I had to come back home. Yes, I, I, I'm just looking at this and, um, and I'm thinking of how amazing this, this journey has been. And uh, to some young woman, they, just in the way that you're telling your story, it really shows that it's doable. Yes. It really shows that it's, it's, it's achievable. Yes. You, you spoke about 
about about discipline you spoke about determination you spoke about knowing what you really want out mm. of this and I, and i think this is um, this is really powerful when you look at um the creative space within eswatini itself uh, primarily and then maybe as you also you have worked um in south africa and you've moved down a few african countries what do you think young women need to also excel within the creative economy and also maybe specifically in in things like fine art photography where do you think the missing link is what sort of barriers did you have to go through um to to get where you are and what do you think needs to be done to make it a whole lot easier for young women i feel like um there's nothing as painful as not being understood because that causes a pause in your life if nobody understands you you will never understand yourself you know they should make sure that they interpret around those who surround them how important it is for them to be understood because when you understood that when you get the support luckily i've been I, i grew in a family of girls you know and uh we like six girls at home so it was not easy for me to be understood up until i had to understand myself first and after understanding myself first as when i came back to them i was like now i understand who i am understand me now and i did get some tremendous support from actually telling them that i'm not like her i'm not like her you know i cannot be like her and i cannot be what you actually expecting out of me but understand who i am and support me if you give me all the support you will see the results and the fruits everybody is now happy as much as we've got our ups and downs especially after the whole covid era but um i'm getting tremendous support from my family from my friends and yeah it's it's been an incredible journey so parents out there you would assure them that you can actually build a career in in fine art photography yes. you would encourage them to also support the young daughters exactly. to also take this up exactly um and do you feel that probably let's say within within the african perspective this sort of support that you've been privileged to have within within your family um is also existent out there do you think women who are in creative entrepreneurship still have um any major barriers to overcome to also you know excel and they do they do it's these these are not i mean that they can achieve irrespective of them being female and i think we fortunate as being black the blackness in us it has actually shaken the world you know because we are now seeing things differently compared to how our parents actually did things you know imagine you are a fine artist and you're black and you're out there in the whole world Or didn't you want your child to be I mean to be similar to Soren Soul if she's also interested in what Soren Soul does you know so it all takes us back to the support again if if your daughter says I've just read about this mom I've just read about this that encourage her also research about it you know to to add up on her desires as well like okay now this is what I've discovered as well how can you work around it you know build make a support structure around it in order for it to be an achievement. So it's 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 never easy. I know I understand because our parents have got certain expectations on all of us, but we are different. We are totally different. You speak quite a bit about about identity and African identity. Even your work also is very very expressive of this as well and I think it's a it's very vivid and it's also a very powerful um way of expressing who we are as as Africans and who we are um as as a people. Yeah. Um one thing that i just can 
that I do not miss about you, rather, is your, your spontaneity. You're a very spontaneous person. And I'm imagining you need this to, to be as close to the trigger of the camera as possible. Yeah. Because if you're able to, you know, just in that microsecond, you're able to quickly, you know, capture a little skirmish there. Or, or you notice something just by the corner of your eye. Uh, what would you think are some of the, let's say, maybe the top two superpowers that you have that make you the, the brilliant artist that you are? I'm very observant and calculative. Yeah, and I think quick. Wow. I'm a quick thinker. Like, I've trained my mind after observing. I think quick on what to do with what I'm just uh, experiencing or witnessing in front of me, and then I take action. That is amazing. Forgive me, though, for observing something that your work also seems to have um, greater recognition internationally and also in non-black audiences, if I'm going to speak of it from that particular perspective. What do we need to do to get Africa to appreciate our talent, our talented young women, but also even our own African art? Because, I mean, if you look at the creative economy in Africa, a lot of the sales go to non-Africans. You find a, lo a lot more non-Africans celebrate African art more than... Yeah. Where do you think is a missing link? What do we need to do? I think Africa has been chasing what has been given to us for the longest time and we cannot fulfill it, you know? Yet, those who have given us this way of life to live, they are now searching and they've been scrambling it for the longest time. I mean, it's like right now, they, they're just taking the last core of what we have as Africans, which is our art. So they do connect because they know the meaning behind art. We just need to create an awareness around us and uh, maybe scrutinize how we can penetrate each and every type of a person from different backgrounds and whatsoever and create a clear understanding and maybe like school them in a way on what is art, how important is it to us, where does it take you, how important it is for you to invest into it. We haven't been creating this awareness around it because we are still chasing to fulfill what has been given to us and that's worse than. I liked the perspective then of the of the e-commerce that you're also bringing in. I mean, we cannot run away from um, digitization and yeah. um, you know, economies have really, have really gone online. And um, I think in terms of business linkages as well, Africans have an opportunity of, uh, of pushing work or publicizing work a lot more using these digital and, and online platforms, yeah. isn't it? What would you think African governments also need to do to support uh, the creative sector on, on the continent and more specifically uh, young women creators like yourself? Where do you think is a missing link with African governments? They need to make things easier for us, make everything, resources, you know, accessible. We haven't got enough resources. We haven't got enough technology to enhance what we have in order for, for the rest of the world to discover, you know. We struggle. Like, for instance, I'm a young creative. That's the only thing that I do, but I haven't got enough connection. There's, there's no Wi-Fi. There's no... There's load shedding. I've, I've got maybe an online expert to attend to, but there's load shedding, for instance, or the network is quite slow, you know, everything freezes. They need to invest more on what will take us into the world. And what happens right now, it's all about technology, you know. For instance, where I am right now, we still haven't got 5G, we're still on 4G, you know. And everything is just slower, everything is slower. And the, whole, the rest of the world, or parts of the rest of the world, it's faster than 5G, everything just connects. But for us, resources are not there. There's no free Wi-Fi. 
you pay. You need to buy food in order to have access to Wi-Fi, for instance. You go to the library, it's, it's, it's congested, it's slow. You've got a live streaming event to attend to, but you cannot because everything pushes you back and then you give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, Pepe, as we are wrapping up on our conversation, I just wanted to find out from you, where is the future taking you? Where are we going with this amazing work that you're doing? I've noticed that um, in a bit of your work, you have also been touching on um, raising social consciousness on issues like climate change, for instance. Yes. I know you have particular interest also in how African society leaves issues around poverty. There's one particular one, um, maybe you could say a few things about it, the one the, the Serengeti Savannah, the Tanzania Kenya one yes. of the balloon and um, really where you were just speaking of the, the plight of um, of herders and, and these tribes and all of that. What do you think is the role of the kind of art that you do in terms of raising consciousness on the contemporary issues in Africa right now? We're in trouble with droughts, we're in trouble with climate change, we're in trouble with poverty and all. Yeah, actually that's a very touching, um, ah, that's, that's, that's quite touching. Because um, I was at the border of, I was between the Serengeti and, uh, what's the other one? It's the Serengeti and the um, Savannah grasslands. So I was by the borderline of Kenya and the borderline of uh, Tanzania. And uh, we did the whole earth balloon thing uh, in the morning for sunrise photography. So as we were on top of, of, of the balloon, there was another balloon below us. And the tour guide there, he was trying to explain, you know, for all the stories that this is the Serengeti, this is how you view it, and this is what happens. We buy the borderlines, you can see the wild animals are already there, and everybody was actually fascinated about it. But I ended up, I decided to go up there to learn and see and visualize it myself from the top because what the warriors narrated to me was quite sad based on uh, the experiences they've been facing. And of course, they had so much drought. They, had, they hadn't been rained, uh, they, hasn't, uh, they hadn't been rained for quite some time. And they struggled to get water, they struggled to get grass. Everything's just dry, it's, it's like dry grasslands. So them narrating their stories now with all their livestock dying, you know, trying to get greener pastures for their livestock, but they're now limited because they've got so much livestock and that's like a nature reserve, right? And it brings tourists and tourism contributes into the economy and that's their native land, by the way. And then being told by the Mara officials that you cannot take your livestock into the grazing lands or the grazing fields during the day because you've got an excessive amount of livestock. Tourists are now complaining that they cannot spot any livestock around, but it's just, sorry, they cannot spot any wildlife, but it's just only your livestock. So you are not allowed to take your livestock into the grazing fields during the day. You'd rather wake up maybe at around 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. You know, take your livestock to the grazing fields, do whatsoever with them, but when the sun rises, you are not allowed to be spotted or to be seen. You'll be fined, you'll be punished, and um, I don't know what they do to them because they've been so terrified. And when was, I was actually told that that resulted to them dying a lot because wild animals are not used to them at night. They're used to them during the day. So they get attacked by, uh, by all these wild animals. They get killed and they also 
having their livestock disappear, being killed by all these wild animals. And when a warrior dies in, 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 in such a scenario, like maybe in the bush or whatsoever, that was not a natural death, right? That was an attack. It shows that you were not fit enough to protect yourself. So let the wild deal with you. So they are never buried. They are left in the wild. And they, like when I was there, one warrior died. That's how painful it was. I witnessed it as well. The only thing they found was his boots, but they had to leave everything there. They cannot even touch it because it's a taboo. And this has psychologically affected them so tremendously in such a way that even their, their life cycle, it has changed because during the day they know to sleep. Men cannot go to meetings, you know, community meetings. Warriors cannot mix and meet together because they're now sleeping during the day and they need to wake up maybe at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. take their livestock coming to the grazing fields. So their lives are deteriorating gradually. You can see them frailing away. You can see them. They are no more in love with their herds as well. They are just trying survival means, thinking every day, where can we take them? How do we do it? Did they get spotted? How much are we being fined? You know, and that's your native land. So that's the most painful part in all of this. And that's where your question is being answered, maybe. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Look, as, as we are then going forward, um, we want to use a lot more of this kind of work to raise Consciousness, consciousness of yeah. what happened to generate important conversations. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. This is this is powerful. And things like climate change and, and climate yeah. change being in effect as well. You know, we've got so much dry Africa. We've got so much dry Africa. I remember when I was in Uganda, I went up north, and I've got another image called Guardian of the Land. Guardian of the Land. It was an uh, an elder in that village. I've, I've forgotten the title of that the particular village. But it was, I think it was in the very region, if I'm not mistaken. And the man was like, we've been monitoring, we haven't slept for days. We've been protesting, you know, because our government has decided to give a certain oil company to, to, to start mining, you know, oil. And they'll be using chemicals and that's fracking. They've already started fracking. And fracking is when they extract oil from the ground using chemicals. It affects their livestock, it affects their livelihood, it affects their waters, it affects everything that surrounds them. And they, 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 maybe they'll get some cancerous illnesses as time goes on, that maybe some tumors there and then whatsoever. But those, those are the stories that are not even told, you know, because this is what the government needs, profit making, you know. Community development will, will actually employ the whole community. You guys will have some work. And um, another painful thing is that when they are being removed, you know, when they are being told that this is where we want to build, you need to be relocated somewhere else. It affects them as well. Right. So this is really, it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. And I, and I think also just it's being captured um, in imagery, in photography, yeah. you know, just to start off these critical conversations. I think it's, it's totally powerful. Yeah. Any last word to young African aspiring fine art photographers, uh, young female aspiring uh, fine art photographers in Eswatini, in Southern Africa, right across Africa. What you want to tell some young girl who's listening to this podcast? Usually what I say is, um, I know I can be, this is quite rough, but never be told what to do. 
That's what I usually say. Do what you feel like doing. Maybe you can get advice here, seek advice, you know. But never be told what to do. Do what you feel like doing. Through discipline. This is amazing. This has been the Incubate podcast. It's been great having you Pepele with us today. Thank you very much. We've had an amazing time. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been beautiful. So Spepile, where do people find you? Uh, where do we get your work? And um, I hear there's an amazing publication as well showcasing your work. Yes, oh, there's quite, uh, it's, it's a publication based in Scotland. It's called uh, Vine Magazine, V-A-I-N-E. Um, I, I think uh, it's, it's a beautiful fi feature of maybe like two pages, if I'm not mistaken. So you can actually go to www.vaine. Dot com. That's where you'll find a feature story about my travels and experiences. And I'm currently present on Instagram as Sipepile, S-I-P-H-E-P-H-I-L-E. And I'm currently working on my website, www.sipepile.com, if I'm not mistaken, because I'm still waiting for the right link to be revealed. But um, that's who I am. And on Facebook, I'm PPC by Nyoni, P-E-P-P-Y, and then C by Nyoni, S-I-B-A-N-I-O-N-I. Thank you very much, Pepe. We look forward to engaging and um, all the very best. Thank you. Right.